leading us into worship, sound, ushers, media, appreciate all your help. Amen. If you have your Bible, it's going to turn to Matthew chapter 20 tonight. Matthew chapter 20, you're going to start reading in verse 1. Um, You may have heard of a guy by the name of Richard Branson before, uh, and he's the owner um, of Virgin Australia, Virgin New Zealand. Uh, He's a very rich man. He's actually worth $4.1 billion. And um, so one day he decides to go out to the airport to see his company and just to see how everybody's going, check it out, say hello, see what's going on. And he walks in to the staff room to, to see how the staff are going. How many of you know when, when the boss comes into the, to the staff room, you're supposed to be working hard, right? Yeah, that's the point where you know, everyone goes, oh, he's coming, he's coming, and everyone starts working, and you put your head down, or you act really serious, staring at your computer. And um, one, the problem is no one told this poor one guy, and so Richard Branson walked in, $4 billion owner of this company, walked in, and this guy was sleeping. And um, we've got a photo of it here. They, Richard Branson actually took a photo with him <laughs> while he's sleeping. The poor guy, he posted that up and he became a meme for a while. And so imagine your boss walks in and here you are sleeping. And then he takes a photo with you as well. And um, yeah, I found that quite funny. But don't lie, how many of you have slept at work when uh, you know you go to the bathroom, lock the door and just sleep for 15 minutes, set an alarm on your phone? Uh, you go into the sick bay room and uh, lie down on the bed there, lock the door or into a spare office or in your car. And I just need to go down. I, I, used to, I have to admit, I've done that before. Um, praise God. But um, when we're supposed to be working, we're idle. And we're not really doing what we should. And in our text, we're going to see some men that should, that should have been working, but they weren't. Uh, and we're going to see what God says to them and how God treats them. And I, I bet you it's not what you really think. And so I want to see God's reaction. So let's read tonight from Matthew 20. I'm going to preach a sermon I've entitled, 11th Hour Laborers. 11th hour labor is a very famous story. I don't think I've ever preached this in its entirety before. So let's read. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven, again, when you see that, Jesus is saying, this is how I run, run, this is how the gospel works. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius, a denarius a day, which is, you know, one day's wage, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And he said to them, Because no one hired us. And he said, You also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those uh, came who were hired at the 11th hour, they received a denarius. Now remember, he promised that to the 12-hour guys, and this guy's only worked one hour, and they got a full day's wage. But when the first had come, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner and said, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and heat of the day. And he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours, go your way. I wish to give to the last man the same as you. It is not lawful. Is it not lawful for me to do as I wish for my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? That's a big question there, and I could preach a whole sermon on that one. But I think all of us sometimes are evil because God is just so good. And so the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray before we start. God, we're grateful for your word. I'm grateful for this night, this Wednesday night. Lord, I pray, transform my voice so people can actually bear listening to me for the next 30 minutes. Give you praise for what you're going to do in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Amen. First, I want to look at the idle laborers. And let's break down the parable just a little bit. And in every parable in the Bible, you need to find yourself in the Bible. Okay, so when they read the story, there's a story in the Bible, you need to read it and say, so where am I in, in this story? Because to be honest, most of the time I read a parable and I can find everybody else. Yeah, that's him. That's him. That's him being lazy. That's her being this. That's him. And, and that's, that's, you know, that, that's great. But the point is, we've still got the plank sticking out of our own eyes. So the point is to find ourselves. And so there's three types of people, three th- main things in our text. There's the landowner. That's Christ himself. There's the vineyard, which is the church. Uh, this is John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. So this is the church of God. The house of God is the vineyard. And the laborers working in the vineyard are you and I. And we have five sets of laborers. The first set, they start at 6 a.m. There's 12 hours in a working day in the Jewish time. So it starts at 6 a.m. He goes out, the Bible says, goes out to the marketplace, finds some guys to work, and they start working. Then he says, three hours later, so at 9 a.m., he goes to the marketplace, and he finds some people just standing around. He says, are you still standing around? What are you doing? You're supposed to be working. Work started at 6. So he calls them, and they come to work. That's the second bunch. He goes at 6, six hours later. So he goes at midday. midday. And he finds more people just standing around, not working. He calls them to come and work. At 3 p.m., he goes again. Nine hours later, he goes and he finds more people. He says, you come. Come and work in my vineyard as well. Then at the 11th hour, 5 p.m., they've been working since, since 6. The sun goes down at 6 p.m. At 5 p.m., he goes out and he asks a question to these guys, verse 6. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And he said to them, why have you been standing idle all day? He goes, you could have been working. You could have been doing something. You could have been productive. You could have been making a profit. There's a job to be done, but you're standing idle. And these are the 11th hour laborers. The reason I say that is because if we're honest, most of us are the 11th hour laborers. We're the idle ones. The word idle means free from labor, at leisure, lazy, refusing the labor which we ought to perform. Anybody know someone like that at your job? They're supposed to be doing something. They're not doing anything. I remember we were moving house with the, with the boys, and I won't say which guy, um, but Brent was there. Oh, sorry. So we were there, and we're moving house, and we're just the truck comes to move house, and he decided to go take a shower as the truck came. And I'm like, why are you taking a shower now? You're going to sweat by moving all your stuff. But the thing is, he didn't want to sweat. He wanted me to carry it. But I, I'm not bitter anymore. But this guy, at that point, we want to remove ourselves, you know, at work. Hey, guys, we need to do this. And then all of a sudden, everyone's busy. Everyone needs to go and everyone needs to do. We should do this. Everyone knows what to say. But the, the doing part, everyone scatters, you know. And we understand this. But this happens spiritually, doesn't it? Like, all day, the vineyard has been coming to find people to work. But they refuse until the 11th hour. And he says to them in verse 6, he says, Why have you been standing here all day? And they say, Because no one hired us. And I sort of don't really believe that. Because how come everybody else got hired and you didn't, right? It's, it's probably because they had no intention of working, right? You know those people that say they're looking for a job, but they don't apply for jobs. And then they say, but I didn't get a job. I don't know. You know I don't know what's happening. It's because you didn't apply yourself for the job and you need to apply, right? And these guys were probably taking a smoko break when the, when the landowner came to check up on there, get more workers. And they're always at the back. And the reason I say that is because many times God's come calling our name and we're the, we're the ones that sat idle. We're the ones that took the smoko break when God called our name. It says in our text, many are called, right? Many are called. God calls us. It's not the issue. The issue is not calling. The issue is being chosen. Matthew 22, again, it says in our text, and another time, Matthew 14, uh, 22, 14, many are called. Heaps. A lot of people are called to do what I've called you to do, but, but only a few are chosen. Now, why are a few chosen? Because many are sitting idle, right? The issue isn't calling. 
And how many times has God told us to do stuff? And let's be honest, we just didn't do it. How many times did God tell you, go forgive that person? And we said, I'm still on smoker, right? You know, it's like, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to forgive, to let them go just yet. Because I want to keep beating them up in my mind, right? How many times did God say, go follow up on that person? And we, was, we sat idle. How many times did God say, go witness to that person? And we sat idle. How many times did God say, go, go help that person? Go show love. Go show my grace to that person. Go be a blessing to that person. How many times, remember this one, how many times did God say, go pray? <laughs> We're like, yeah, yeah, I prayed. I prayed for one minute on, um, on Wednesday when we opened up in prayer. And, and how many times did God say, go read your Bible? And we, we missed out. How many times did God say, go do that ministry? So I'm actually, I don't know. Right. And that's all of us. I'm not, not pointing fingers. Think about Moses. 40 years, he's walking around in the desert doing nothing. 40 years. Jonah, he, God says, go this way. And he goes the other way. He's, he's idle. He's not doing what he should be doing. And we've all been there. And there's numbers of reasons why we're idle, why we don't do what God tells us to do. Probably the first one, first reason is because of fear. How many you, you God told you what to do, but you were scared? Because the will of God is going to be scary sometimes. It's, that's, that's why it's called the will of God, not the will of, will of man, right? And when we're fearful, it paralyzes us and we stop. We, we just stop in our tracks. You know, think about the children of Israel. They're facing Goliath and for 40 days they didn't fight because they were scared. And how many times has God called us to do something but we were, we were scared and so we didn't do it. We were scared of being, making a mistake, right? How many said, I'll, I'll do it but I, I'm not good enough so I don't want to cake it so I'm not going to do it. And raise your hand if you haven't made a mistake. If you've never ever made it, you're the perfect beloved son of God. Right? So well, all of us, you know, we've all made mistakes. Uh, another reason we're idols is because of laziness, right? Pastor Payne's got a great quote. It's not on the screen, but he says, man will be as lazy as you allow him to be. Because if you're allowed to be lazy, we'll be lazy, right? That's it's, it's just part of life. And when you see how much, how much effort the will of God takes, many times we just pull out, right? Maybe we're focused on worldly things. That could be the third reason. God tells us to do something for him, but we're focused on doing something for us. And wasn't that the rich young ruler? God says, I want you to do this, but he didn't want to do it. And so he sat idle and he missed out the plans and purposes and blessing of God. And then the fourth one, and I think this one hits us most. I think the fourth reason why we don't step out for God or do what he tells us to do and sit idle is because we have a lot of guilt inside. We've made bad choices in the past. We made, we made harsh, did some harsh things. We failed God. We backslid. We did things. And Instead of stepping out to God, we, we feel that guilt. And so we don't want to step out for God. You know, I, I know many times I've, I've mis- made a mistake, and so I don't want to step out again. We know this in sport, right? If someone, someone keeps dropping the ball or they, they, they keep missing, and that person just pulls back a bit because they feel a bit of guilt and shame. They, they lose confidence in themselves, and they don't want to try again. And so this is the 11th hour laborers. This is us. We've all been idle when God's called us. So let's look at, secondly, at the impassionate love impassioned love sorry now the word impassioned means to be filled or showing great emotion and maybe you didn't read this text and thought that jesus showed great emotion and that's why we're glad that we came to church tonight right and you'll see god's love and god's great emotional love towards us you know the parable of the talents there's five two and one the five doubles the two doubles but the one says you know what god you're a hard man and that's why i didn't do what i was supposed to do and this is the wrong mentality because God is not hard. God is not harsh. Even when we're idle, church, listen to me. Even when we've been idle, God still loves us. And God still comes to the marketplace searching for us. God has a heart for those who have been idle. He's got a deep love for those that are idle. 
he's not just focused on the perfect because he'd have no one to focus on <laughs> but he focuses on everyone think about think about he goes to the market five times five times he goes in the morning gets workers he goes three hours later gets more three hours later gets more three hours later gets more and then at the last possible the 11th hour the 11th hour means like at the last possible moment to do something that's what it means the 11th hour it's the last possible uh, chance that you have to do something before time runs out and God is still going searching for people who will leave it to the last minute and shows God is still interested in us God hasn't given up on 11th hour laborers he's still longing to use 11th hour laborers Think about the prodigal son. Wasted his life, wasted his possessions, wasted his gifting, wasted his relationship, hurt people, lost everything. And as soon as he comes, the, the father's passionate to see him. Because even those that have wasted time and wasted things or wasted possessions or calling or gifts, God still has time for them. And there's a celebration when the prodigal son comes back, not a rebuke. There's my son's back. Because God is into those who have been idle. The parable of the two sons. The story goes in Matthew 21. 28 it's on the screen but basically it's two sons um one he tells one go and work and he says yes i'll do that i'll do whatever you tell me to do then he doesn't do it then he says the other son go and do this and he doesn't do it he says no i'm not doing it but then he felt bad and he went and did it and jesus said which one of the sons is is god most pleased with and then they said to him the first obviously the one that said no at the start but did it later on and then jesus said to them assuredly i say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven before you. That's a big statement. Why is that? He says, because God's not after perfect people. He's after people that, yeah, you've made mistakes, but on the 11th hour, you can call on God, and the kingdom of heaven can be yours. Maybe you've said no to God in the past, and we all have. It's okay. You can start now. <laughs> We've still got time. Because God's not so concerned about how you start. Because who cares how you start if you burn and crash and fall? Maybe you can have the burn and crash and start at the, at, the finish, at the starting line. But if you finish well, God is more concerned about what you're doing now than what you've done one year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Luke 16 is the parable of a shrewd manager. Let me, let me tell you a bit. Verse 1, he says, then, He said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward. Uh, and there was an accusation brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So, you know, there's a businessman, puts the business in another man's hands to look after it, make a profit, but that... That man was being dodgy, right? He was stealing his money, and no one here does that at, at their jobs, but just this one random guy was, was being dodgy at work, okay? And he's dishonest, and then he calls him in, you're going to have to pay, you're going to give him an account for what you've done. Look what he does in verse 5. So he called all the one, every one of the master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 100 measures of oil. And he said, take your bill, just sit down quickly and write 50. So he goes, yeah, I know you owe 100, but let's just do something. Let's, I know it's not perfect but let's do something. And then he said to the, the another, how much do you owe? And he says, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill, write 80. So he says, listen, I know it's not perfect. I know you own this and I haven't been living right, but let's just do something in the, in the 11th hour. And then look at the response in verse 8. Then the rich man, <laughs> I love this. This is the best scripture. And the rich man had come to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Uh, what a great line. He goes, the, the rich man admires the dishonest, un, unworthy, good-for-nothing rascal. The dodgy guy. Why? Because then he says the children of the world are more shrewd to dealing with the world than the children of light. This Shrewd means to have a clear judgment or making good decisions. Okay, And so what he's saying, Jesus is saying here, this man, even though he was running out of time, he did something 
and there was a blessing on his life, even though he stuffed it up the first 10 years. He goes, in the 11th hour, he did something, and God says, I'm, I'm proud of this guy, because he did something. Now, if he's saying that over a dishonest rascal, how much us, who are his children, that when we make mistakes, and yeah, whatever, but we can just do something, and God says, I admire that. Because God's not so interested in your past. He's interested in your future. Church, don't be so focused on your past and your problems, because God doesn't give up on us. I read this quote this week. I was going to send it out to the church, but I'm going to use it in my sermon, so my sermon sounds better. It says, too many people overvalue what they are not and undervalue what they are. How many things do we say, but I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this, so I'll just do nothing. And you overvalue those things. If you can't do it, that's okay. Don't do it. Just do what you can do. And we undervalue what we are. But I can only do this. I've only got one talent. God can use that one talent. God can use whatever you have. It's not your talents and your abilities that makes you valuable to God. It's your soul. It's not, oh, I've made mistakes, so therefore God doesn't love me anymore. That's not true, because he wouldn't love any of us, because we've all made stupid mistakes. But now, God can transform us, and God can use 11th hour laborers. Can I just say, building the church is the most valuable thing in the world. Building the church, God's church, God's bride. And so you have to ask yourself a question. Why go back at the 11th hour to get more laborers? Think about that. You've been working all day in the sun. You go at the last hour to get more people to work for you? Like how much could they do in one hour? And if you're there at the 11th hour, I don't know how far away his vineyard was by the time he gets there. It's probably wasted 15 minutes by the time he goes through all of his, gets his hard hat, makes sure he checks in, everything's all good. By the time that, that takes place, or his OH&E, it's probably half an hour. He's probably got about 10 minutes of work left. They, one hour left, that means there's only 8% of the day left. 92% has been done. There's only 8% left. And yet here is Jesus saying, I'm going to come back at the 11th hour. So why does he do that? The reason why is because whatever you do for the house of God, is incredibly valuable even if it's only 8% of what needs to be done even if it's only a little bit but I can't do much pastor that's okay because the Bible says even those that give a cup of water to someone they will never lose their reward because whatever you do for the house of God is so valuable it's worth just the last few minutes of this day God is willing to use anyone He's willing to use anyone because his church is so valuable. Anyone that helps at all. If you help 0.000001%, God's willing to use you. Because anything that blesses his church blesses his heart. And then he blesses you back. God's not only interested in using five talented people. He's not only interested in using two talented people. He wants to use one talented people. He's not only interested in using people that have been saved for 12, 12 years, or nine years, or six years, or three years. He's interested in those that have been saved one year. He's not interested in those that have just have a little bit. And one hour of work in the hand of God produces great results. You might think that your labors aren't worth much. Well, our text shows that it is worth much. But I don't do much. I, I, I'm only here for the last hour. That's okay. God still came to the marketplace to find you. Because what you do is important. Anyone that wants to be used by God can be. John 4, 35 do not say there's still four months, then comes the harvest. Behold, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ready. Matthew 9, 37, 38. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So all God's call 
for the last 2,000 years have been for laborers. And he'll use anyone. If you can only do one hour or 12 hours, God wants to use you. It says here that Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. I've got another quote for you, which I liked. Again, I was going to send out, but I'm keeping all the good ones, and I'll send out the half good ones. It says, um, Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, but you are the Lord, Lord of the seed. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, but you are the Lord of seeds. So what that means is that, yeah, God can bring great results, but you're in charge of planting the seeds. And without the seeds, there could be no harvest. And many people, we don't want to plant any seeds, but expect a harvest. But God doesn't work like that. If you just give him your little, how small is a seed? If you focus on the little seed, God can transform that. And he's the Lord of the harvest. God can bring a harvest. You don't have to worry about, but what's going to happen and how's this going to work out? You don't have to worry at all. Because God is the Lord of the harvest. But you're the Lord of the seeds. So the, the little things you do in life, you do those things, oh, God can multiply it. Did, didn't God multiply just some loaves and fish and fed 5,000 people? But I can't do it. Of course you can't do it. That's why you're only the Lord, Lord of the seed. You only have to do what you can. You have to do what's in your hand and let God do the harvest. Let God do the miracles. Let God work in powerful ways. So to prove that the Lord is, is the Lord of the harvest... I love this part now, but I never understood this. The same rewards go to those who worked 12, 9, 6, 3, or 1 hour. And I never understood that until now. Verse 8. It says, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And those who were hired at the eleventh hour and received the denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. It really puzzled me. I was like, God, why are you unjust for? I used to think that. So you're saying, if I work, if I give my whole life to you, God, and someone who just gives their life to you at the last second, what, so we get the same reward? Like, that's the same? It really puzzled me. But these three things explained why this is, this is fair. Number one, God is gracious. Unlike us. Because we want people to pay for their past, right? Well, God, I've done all this. They haven't done all this. Well, that's, that's irrelevant to God. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? His last seconds. He says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. That's, that's incredible. Because God is willing to use anyone. Even the thief on the cross. He says, your reward is great. I'll give you favor that you don't deserve. God is so great. Number two. Number one, God is gracious. He'll give us things that we don't deserve. That's his nature. Number two, God is good. Verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do with, with, with what I wish for my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? Sometimes we work in, you know, we're saved by grace. Thank you for saving me, God. And I know it's through grace, a lot of works. But because of my works, I should get a bit more reward now. Right? God says, hey, hey, I can do whatever the heck I want to do. I'm good. And God is always good, and every judgment and every call and every word of God is good. He isn't, he's not just does good things. He is good. His nature is good. He can't get any better. He is always good. So whatever he does, who are we to question what he should be doing? And we shouldn't be looking at other people or what they're going to do and what they're going to do. You just focus on yourself. I read another quote this week. It's not on the screen. This is extra. Yeah, you get extra blessing. This one, he says, don't, don't judge other people by their harvest. So don't judge other people by what, what they receive. Judge yourself with other people by their hustle. 
So we don't compare ourselves with, oh, but look what they got, but look what they got. You don't, you don't compare harvests, but you compare hustle. What that means, if someone's going hard for God, you can compare that, you should be going hard for God. That's what you compare, not, not harvest. So God is good, and God will reward all of us to whatever he deems worthy. And, and that is right, because God is good. <coughs> so God is gracious, number one. God is good, number two. And number three, God is generous. Tell you what God really rejoices in. God rejoices in using the people that have wasted their lives, but then give it to him at the end. He loves using those people. I don't know how, I don't know why, because if I was God, I wouldn't. I'd be like, well, look who comes rolling back, you know. But that's not how God thinks. What about Samson, right? Samson's a mighty man of God. God blesses him with strength. God gives him great honor. But then he's off sleeping around with women, getting drunk every weekend, touching things he shouldn't be touching, going to nightclub, doing all stupid things. Gets his eyes plucked out, loses all of his strength. And at the last, at the 11th hour of his life, he says, God, give me strength one more time. And the Bible says that in his death, he killed more Philistines than he did in his whole life. Because God can use people so powerfully at the 11th hour, more than just in their life. Regardless of where you've come from, God can still use you in powerful things because God is generous. What about Peter? Peter, like he stuffs up every single verse of the whole Bible. He doesn't care about anyone. Have you thought about the scripture when, when he's, in, he's in the boat and like Peter walked on water? Oh, that's so cool. Did you know that everyone else was scared? And he didn't care about anyone else? That's great you walked on, Peter, on water, Peter, but everyone else is freaking out. And the only time that the, the, the storm calmed was when Jesus got in the boat. So instead of Peter saying, yeah, let me come, why, Peter, why don't you ask Jesus to come into the boat? But Jesus, he's always full of himself. Peter's always like me, and I want to walk on water, and I want to do this, and he's cutting people's ears off, and he's rebuking Jesus at one point. He's just stuffing his whole life up. Then, Acts 2 and 3, here he is giving the greatest altar call, his greatest sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Because no matter what you've done in the past, God can use you for great and mighty things because God doesn't hold your past against you. Abraham, spare Lot and Sodom. He goes to God, God, if there's, if there's, 50, if there's 50 righteous people, will you not, not destroy Sodom? And he says, yeah, sure, no worries. But then he thinks, of, oh, we don't really have 50 righteous people in Sodom. God, what about 45? God says, yeah, sure. What about 40? Yeah, no problem. 35, 30, 25, 20? 15, 10, God says, yeah, no worries. Because God's not holding your past against God's God wants to give mercy. God's like, you, you want to do well? I'll help you do well. I'm, I'm not going to hold, oh, no, I need 50 righteous. He goes, hey, what, whatever you can do, do that. King Manasseh, and you, many might not have heard of him, but he was a bad king. He backs, he did stupid things. At the end of his life, he gets his heart right, and God uses him powerfully. So, guys, the impassionate love of Jesus that he has for us is not that you're perfect. But you can be the 11th hour laborer and God can bless your life with abundance. That's the point of this story. And I close with this. Finally, the imminent Lord. As I was studying this, I was reading some Bible commentaries and some apparent scholars and they, they get a bit too deep into this. They're like, oh, the third, the third hour, um, at that uh, Pentecost was at the third hour, so God gave the Holy Ghost. And then at the sixth hour, that's when people worshipped. And so that he's going to give true worship. And at the ninth hour is when people got healed. And so he wants to bring Pentecost and heal. That's not what he's talking about. That's all weird. All right. The eleventh hour, this is what it signifies. It signifies this. Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. In a moment, just like this. The Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, if you blink right now, Maybe when you open up your eyelids, the church could be gone. 
And this is why he goes for the 11th hour. Because he says, you know what, God, I'm coming soon. But I'm still willing to redeem up until the last second. I'm still willing to redeem people. I'm still loving for people. So church, we need to be reaching as many people as we can and giving our lives to, all out to Christ. Maybe you've wasted the 11 hours, but you can use this last hour that we have and God can bless it. John 9, 4, he says, Jesus says, I must work, work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. The NLT says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. Maybe you haven't been carrying out your task. That's fine. That's no problem at all. But you can't start now. Start now. The night is coming. There was the fifth hour. There was one hour to go. There was five o'clock. Everything closes at six. And I believe with all my heart, church, that we are in the last few seconds before Christ comes back. I believe with all my heart is going to come back in my lifetime. That's not a prophecy, but this is what I believe with my heart. And this is the way that I live. Is I'm going to give my all to God because how cool would it be if we were praying with someone at the altar on the street, worshipping God, singing shout to the Lord, and then that moment, Jesus comes and takes us home. So let's do the work that he's called us to do. Maybe you're sitting idle here tonight. God hasn't given up on you. God's focused on you. Maybe you think, oh, I'm the 11th hour guy. God doesn't really notice me. No, no, he does. He leaves his vineyard. He leaves his church to go grab you. He's interested in your life. And so that, that gives me hope that there's hope for every carnal Christian. There's hope for every lukewarm Christian. There's hope for every backslider. There's hope for every unbeliever because it's the 11th hour and Jesus is coming back very soon. But he's going to visit us again. I close with this story. It's a true story. You may have read in the Bible about a man by the name of Joseph of, from Arimathea. And um, we, sat, we sing, they laid him down in Joseph's, tr- Joseph's tomb. That's not Jesus' dad. That's, Jesus, that's this man, Joseph. He bought the tomb for Jesus. And so it wasn't even Jesus' tomb. It was his tomb that he had for himself, but he gave it to Jesus. And so he's a wealthy man. He does all this. Anyway, he's not a main disciple. He's not a main guy. He's all in the background. The Bible calls him a disciple. Another one says that he's like a distant disciple. So he's not really in the, in the close bunch to Christ. He's sort of on the outskirts of the church. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, the history tells us that he went to, to Britain and he started preaching the gospel over there. Many people got saved and, and he's discipled many people over there. Obviously he died, and, but the people he discipled, they continued, they continued, and they continued discipling. Uh, and one of the main reasons why the UK had a, had a Christian background was because of Joseph of Arimathea in the Bible. Now, how does that apply to us? You're like, that's great, but what does that apply to me? Well, when they were sending out convict ships every ship that they will send out because of Joseph of Arimathea they made sure there was a Christian on every single ship that they sent out now where did the ship that discovered New Zealand come from some of you are like I don't know tell me <laughs> comes from England right and it's the where they discovered Australia was from England there were Christians on those ships because of this man Joseph of Arimathea he wasn't the best he wasn't the brightest he didn't really do anything for God until the 11th hour he gave himself at the 11th hour and God is still using him to this day because God is into using people that didn't give their best at the start God is into people that that weren't really wholehearted that were halfway 
it's not too late for us to be part of a worldwide revival. If we would just give ourselves, let us be the 11th hour workers and see God pour out revival through our church. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. <coughs> Appreciate